Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story, and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. And we are back. First episode of 2023 Crossover NBA Podcast, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. Happy New Year, Mr. Beck. Uh, Were you amongst the hundreds of thousands in Times Square on New Year's Eve? Was that your your go-to this year? Uh, Happy New Year? Uh, No, because I'm a sane person. We've lived in this city now for... 18 years. I think it's been 18 New Year's Eves. Um, have not gotten anywhere near Times Square on New Year's in that time. Uh, Times Square should be avoided even in the best of times, uh, to say nothing of the craziest and most chaotic of times. I don't need to pack myself into a pen with an adult diaper on for eight hours. By the way, that's what they got to do because yeah. you're stuck there in I a did, pen. I did that once. I my One of my first years living in New York, I, I lived in Hell's Kitchen and I went there and I mean, it was like an experience, but you're right. Like if you're having some drinks and you got to pee, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Like you got no options. I don't even... This is like it's this is never discussed. Like the 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 real world version of Times Square of the ball drop of the Dick Clark show now hosted by Ryan Seacrest. I can't wait for another like oh, 40 years from now after Ryan Seacrest is retired it'll be like the Dick Clark New Year's Rock and Eve uh featuring Ryan Seacrest but hosted now by uh I don't know fill in the blank. Um Zach Efron. Th- there's 
Zach Efron. Somebody needs to do the real version of what actually happens, what all those revelers are actually going through in the many, many, many hours of drinking and being stuck penned in uh, to these these small areas. It's it's I don't think it's pretty, but yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's a mess, but it's an experience. That's for sure. All right. Uh, on this episode this week, Howard, we're going to talk about the Denver Nuggets playing good basketball. Nikola Jokic making another strong case for MVP. A messy, messy situation right now in Minnesota where the Timberwolves kind of go from here as we reach close to that halfway point of the season. And LeBron James, he made some comments about his future. I want to dive in, try to interpret those comments as well. But off the top, Howard, real quick, Luka Doncic is playing out of his mind. Uh, he's, you know, if he doesn't go for 40 plus, you're surprised. If he doesn't get 50, you're like, oh, wow, I'm a little bit surprised by it. I mean, like, Luca, after getting, putting 62 on uh, your New York Knicks in a win over, uh, in a win, in a, uh, overtime win, Luca comes out against San Antonio, 50 plus in that game. What do you make of the tear that Luca Doncic is on right now? I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. It's entertaining as hell. It's needed. Like, they need every bit of it for the Mavericks just to get back to a position where they're feeling solid-ish, respectable-ish. Um, I don't expect they're going to finish the season in the top four in the West. They're there momentarily, and it, it's taken an extraordinary effort by Luka to get there. And they've beaten up on mostly like, very soft competition. Um, you know, this winning streak at Minnesota, you know, Wolves, as we've alluded to, are a disaster. They beat Houston, who are tanking. They beat the Lakers, who are a disaster. They beat the Knicks, who have obviously been all over the map. Um, and then the Rockets again, and then the Spurs. So it's it, like it's not as though the Mavericks have figured something out and they're fine. But Luke has been amazing, and it's gotten them a bunch of wins against inferior competition. That's part of getting to respectability is beating crappy teams. So, um it's something. I think this is more a matter of like, let's just enjoy what Luke is doing because it's fun and it's wild. Um, and it, it like, I think the, the flip side of it though is this. And I think for the Mavericks, it's the thing they have to concern themselves with. Like, Luca played like 42 minutes in the game uh, in Houston. You shouldn't need him for 42 minutes to beat the Rockets. He played 39 minutes. Uh, the next game, that was the, the Christmas Day game against the Lakers. He had to play 47 in that Knicks game. Obviously, that went overtime. 37 in the game against the Spurs. Like, he's playing a ton of minutes. He has a huge burden. I haven't checked to see what his usage rate is recently, but I, it, it's obviously way, way up there. He's probably leading the league. We've already seen in this league in recent years, thanks to James Harden and thanks to Russell Westbrook and a couple others, super high usage rate can only get you so far. It's fine to have a player who can do everything with the ball in his hands and give it to him over and over and over and over again. But at some point, you need teammates to do something. And at some point, you can wear out. And at some point, you can break down. And by the postseason, you might be gassed, asked James Harden in all those Houston years. So it's fun. It's awesome. I, I mostly just think we should enjoy it. But I, there's just warning signs all over the place here for the Mavericks because it's, it's not sustainable. Um, they didn't have enough even when they had uh, Jalen Brunson. They certainly don't have enough without him. So uh, they they need to figure something out here in the next few weeks before they just burn Luca out. That, that shot he made off the missed free throw against New York was ridiculous. That was, <laughs> it was awesome. One of the best plays I've seen in a number of years. Um, just catch, release, 
two points. I mean, just a, a ridiculous performance by Luka Doncic. 60-20-10. You didn't never see that in NBA history. Um, I'm with you. Does need some help. Uh, that's a Mavericks problem for down the line. I did think it was interesting. LeBron James, he was on an episode of The Shop on Unter- Uninterrupted, and he was explaining why Luka is his favorite player. Take a listen. His size? He's gigantic. I mean, he's gigantic. He's 6'8", six, 6'8", eight, six, eight point guard. He's 225 pounds. Jeez. He has the ball on the string. And but more importantly, his, his vision. That's why I love his, his vision. He, he can control a game. He, don't, he doesn't even have to shoot. He will literally, he'll walk the ball up the court 10 straight times and get to his spot every single time mm-hmm. just because of his pace. He knows when he comes off a pick and roll, if they're hard showing or if they hedging or if they dropping the pick and roll, he know I could turn the corner because I got this shoulder. And I know the third line of defense, when I get there, if I just slow down, just slow down, use my pivots, you know, not even jump, just the Euro one, two, this guy's flying by. He's flying by every time. It's, it's the mind. LeBron's right, of course. And that's a, a, a good way to put it, how Luca's able to kind of use that front shoulder and just play at his own pace in a game. And he does that. Uh, he just effortlessly plays, and you have to adapt to him every single time he has the ball. And if you're Dallas, you got to be looking around going, we just got to get like one more piece, one more real piece next to him, and this guy can carry us. This guy can be the type of player where he can be the best player, and the second best player won't be all that close to him. Like You just have to have a couple of guys that are, are part of a supporting cast that can help him and do things that complement him, uh, and we can get there because Luka's... He's just playing some ridiculous basketball right now. He's only, what, 23, 24 years old? He's been all NBA uh, his last his first three seasons, uh, in our last three seasons. I mean, he's he's out of his mind at the moment. So it's, it's fun to watch Luka Doncic kind of go at it and, uh, and do his thing. All right, speaking of LeBron James, often, you know, delivers messages through the media, sometimes cryptically, sometimes not so much. Uh, last week, after a loss against Miami, uh, LeBron was asked about, his uh, future. And he, he was asked kind of in a lighthearted way by our friend Dave McMenamin, who uh, asked him about a comment Dennis Schroeder made about how long LeBron would play, saying LeBron could play until he's 45. LeBron took that, answered it, and then went into kind of a, a more serious direction. Take a listen. I'm a winner, and I want to win. And, um, you know, I want to win and, and give myself a chance to to, to win and still compete for championships. Um, that has always been my my passion, has always been my goal since I entered the league. at an 18-year-old kid out of Akron, Ohio, and I know it takes steps to get there. But once you get there and you know how to get there, um, playing basketball at this level just to be playing basketball is not, it's not in my DNA. It's not in my DNA. Um, anymore. So, you know, we'll we see what happens and see how, how fresh my mind stays over the, over the next couple of years. All right, Howard. LeBron is always telling us something when he says stuff like this. How did you interpret those comments last week? I don't think this was even a case where he left anything to interpretation. <laughs> like, the fact that he took a question, I believe, from Dave McMenamin, um, asking broadly about playing another seven years until he's 45 and 
talking long enough that he steered that from, and you can see it too, if you watch the video, the expression is kind of like he's smiling, talking about, oh, you know, I don't know how long it'll go, but as long as my mind is there and all this. And then eventually he just leads himself to a place where suddenly he's looking a lot more serious and he's talking about, you know, the future and what it takes. And I, and I, and, and I only want to play to win. There's only, it's only about winning and it's about, and this is not surprising. LeBron James has usually said, now, I will say, there was a time several years ago where he said something about, I have nothing left to prove. There was that. I think his last year in Cleveland. I think that was defense mechanism. Most of the time when he talks about legacy, talks about longevity, talks about what he wants to accomplish, what his, his imprint on the league, where he wants to, to, to finish in the historical spectrum, it's all about winning. and It's all about winning championships. And so none of that should be surprising. And it should not be surprising to us or to the Lakers, for that matter that LeBron is sending not-so-subtle messages, basically saying, get me some friggin' help. Um, now, I know this comes with all kinds of, of of baggage and interpretation with it because now it gets to the, is it the Lakers' fault they're in this position? Is it LeBron's fault because he and Anthony Davis pushed for the Westbrook trade? Blah, blah, blah. We can get into all that. Um, but listen, he's saying exactly what he should say. He should. He should advocate for himself. As one of the greatest players of all time, arguably by some people's measures, the greatest, no worse than number two of all time, he has the right to sit up and say, I'm in year 20 and I'm playing at an incredibly high level and I think I can for many years to come, but I don't want it to mean nothing. That is a fair position. Obviously, you know, I I, I agree with that position because I wrote a few weeks ago about the fact that I think that they're wasting his his last good years. I don't I don't know when this might end. He seems to think he can do this forever. That's great. He thinks if his mind leads, his body will follow. I'm not sure that's realistic. I'm not sure that physiologists, biologists, scientists in general would agree with that take. I, I think at some point he's going to start to break down and he's going to start to to lose a little bit of what's made him great. He already obviously has a little, but he's still playing at an all-NBA level. He still is. And the Lakers owe it to him, to their fans, to basketball history, to not squander it. And that's what's happening. And I know there's there's injuries involved too, Anthony Davis most notably, but there's more to it than that. The the rosters we've discussed for a long time is a mess. They do have chances to clean this up or at least start to fix it if they're willing to trade some future picks. The fact that they haven't been willing to do that, I think, is a just a, a huge mistake, and it basically indicates they're willing to flush a season of of LeBron playing at this level. Yeah, um, not the first time that. LeBron has said something, you know, critical of where the team stands. If you go back to what was the preseason, early in the season, when he said, we don't have a lot of lasers on the roster, like that was a, a shot at, at roster construction uh, there. And now he, he's talking about not having enough or indicating he doesn't have enough to, to win. It's not as enjoyable as, as it used to be. And look, I, I, I've mixed feelings on all this. Number one, he's right because he's playing Ridiculous. I mean, look at some of the numbers LeBron's putting up. 28 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. If the Lakers were winning, Howard, that's a MVP caliber type of season. Like, he's playing that well right now. It just turned age 38. On his 38th birthday, he had, what, 47 points? Like, insane. Just insane things. And I agree with him that if his mind's right, his body is clearly going to cooperate. He's not what he used to be. He can't be a two-way dominant player for 35, 40 minutes every night, but he can still be one of the top five players in the NBA in the postseason when he turns it on. 
Simple as that. He can still do that. Um, where I, I kind of like scratch my head a little bit is I, I go back to what LeBron gave up when he signed that extension. He gave up any leverage. Like he doesn't have it. Um, there was no real need for him to sign that extension. He, he was going to get his money one way or the other, whether it was in the offseason or uh, whether it was you know down the line. Uh, and more to the point, not not to say not to dismiss like fifty million dollars, but LeBron, quite frankly, doesn't need a fifty million guarantee at that point of his career. So he commits himself to the Lakers, which you know at the time was really good for the Lakers. They didn't have to go into the, that season worrying about LeBron walking and going somewhere else next summer. But the assumption was that the Lakers would go out and do whatever it takes to upgrade that roster to not waste a season like this. And as we sit here in January, that seems like exactly what they're willing to do. Now, the Davis injury has complicated things. Whenever you hear foot and big men, I get scared. And there's there's the indefinite absence right now for Anthony Davis. That's got to be worrisome if you're the Lakers. So maybe it's not worth swapping one of those picks for you know a player that maybe gets you into the play-in mix uh, this season. But... LeBron's decision to sign that extension to me just just lingers. Like he committed himself, we didn't have to. He's locked into the Lakers for one more year. Um, that's never been his mo. His mo, at least for the majority of his career, has been to exert as much leverage on the franchise he's on as possible. And he, he should. Like if you have that kind of power and you're willing to forego long term contracts, why wouldn't you? If you have that much earning power off the court, why wouldn't you exert that kind of leverage? His decision to pass on that, I don't get. And maybe it kind of confirms the idea that LeBron is a Laker in large part because it's Los Angeles, because where his family his family wants to be there. His kids are playing high school basketball there. It's enjoyable to live in Southern California. Maybe that just confirms everything we've a lot of people have believed about why Le- LeBron went to the Lakers. Uh, but... You know, whenever he's frustrated right now, I think oh, you could have given yourself more. You could, you could have, you didn't have to commit to the Lakers beyond this season. You could have said, you know, look, you're either going to do this and do it my way, or else I'm going somewhere else. That, that to me, every time you know LeBron indicates frustration, understandable frustration with where the Lakers are this season, I think back to the commitment he made to that team. Well, a couple things on that. I mean, it, fair, but. Um... And let me just be clear here. So he signed the extension. By the time he actually like physically signed it, I think it was September. So it, what did what it did was it cut off the window. You have to be six months removed from the extension to be traded. Bobby Marks was explaining this recently on NBA Radio that you have to be six months removed. Well, the six month mark from when he actually signed it pushes past the trade deadline. So that's why a trade of LeBron midseason is off the table. And to your point, yes, he's not a free agent outright this summer, but he can opt out. I believe that next summer, can't he? I thought he. I thought he had. Maybe. Maybe it's not. Excuse me. I, I'll take that back. There is no opt out because of the extension. Obviously, removes yeah. that. Strike that. Um, he, he did remove some leverage for both in season and after the season. But with regard to in season, let me say just address that first. It's not like he was going to push for a trade in season. Like right. Like that, that's never going to happen. The Lakers aren't trading him in season. He's not going to demand a trade in season. So remove that for a minute. The next juncture is the offseason, right? Okay, he won't be a free agent, but he'll be going into what will then become the walk year. He absolutely has leverage, and besides that, he's LeBron. He gets to the offseason. If he says, trade me next next offseason, whether that's April, May, June, July, 
whenever their season ends and whenever he decides to do it, they, they, he's he's LeBron. They're like they they cannot ignore that. Um, if he decides he wants that, it's there. So I think there's still some leverage there. But to to your point about why even sign it at all, he didn't need doesn't need the money, doesn't need the security. Um, I, I some of it was that I think he was you know the report at the time was he was tying himself to the same timeline as Anthony Davis. Okay, fine. Um, but also this, I, I, I am I am fairly certain of this point. And I, I wrote this, so I, I'm, I'm certain enough that I included it in the story from a few weeks back. He signed that extension with assurances that they would do whatever it took to improve the roster. And that meant if they had to trade future picks, they would. Rob Palinka himself said on multiple occasions in the offseason, they'd be willing to trade the picks. They obviously are not willing to trade the picks. And I've heard rumblings, and these are only rumblings. I don't want people to go too far with this or go crazy with the aggregation. But a couple people around the league have told me in recent weeks that they believe that the front office has essentially been told not to trade the picks, that they're guarding those. If that's the case, that speaks to a, a, a pretty speaks to a couple things. One, you're feeling pretty insecure about your future post LeBron. You're not sure you you think those picks are going to be so valuable in 2027 and 2029 that giving them up would be catastrophic for you. You're also showing a lack of faith in your ability to trade those picks and find another way to rebuild in whatever the post-LeBron years are. And you're also indicating if, if, again, if it's true that they are just completely unwilling to put those picks on the table, then that means you're also, by definition, willing to flush this season because those are your best tools for moving forward or trade or, or for improving in the, in, the, uh, in the immediate term. So there's all that. A couple quick other things about the picks. Because we talk about 2027, 20, 29. Oh, these are the only ones they have available to deal because of all this, the capital that was tied up in the, in the trade for Anthony Davis and the Pelicans control everything. Yes, but this year is a swap. So the Pelicans are going to get the Lakers pick because the Lakers are going to have the better pick this year. That means the Lakers still have a pick. They will have the Pelicans pick. They will have a, a low first round pick. The Pelicans have the option to take the 2024 pick or they can defer to 2025. So that's why both of those are locked up. The Lakers will have a first round pick in one of those two seasons in 24 or 25. They have their pick in 2026. They have their pick in 2028. So 2027 is encumbered because of these other um, provisions in the deal. Um, or excuse me, 2027, 2029 are the only ones that are available because they are not encumbered. But they have other picks. They have 28. They have 26. They will have either 24 or 25. They will have the Pelicans pick this coming June by virtue of the swap. They are not barren. This isn't the Nets after the Celtics deal with Pearson Garnett. So they're being overly cautious. Last point on this. There's been this notion, and there's also been some like sourced reports about the Lakers don't want to throw good money after bad. They don't want to double down. They don't want to just do this when, they're, when the season's already a lost cause. Well, A, kind of defeatist. B, <laughs> Anthony Davis might still come back. And even if he even if he doesn't come back in time, you're not just fixing it for this season. You're doing two things. You're doing three things, actually. You make a trade now using those picks. If you make the right trade, one, you at least make this Lakers squad respectable. You give LeBron at least a fighting chance. And maybe you make the play in, maybe you make the playoffs, maybe you get lo you lose in the first round. But to say that anything short of a championship isn't worth using the picks for is, is I think, a fallacy. Because whatever you do in the, in the near term at least stabilizes things, makes you respectable again. Two, whoever you're trading for, maybe they're longer-term contracts. These, guys might, these, uh, these players you're acquiring might be part of the solution for 
next season and beyond too. So it's not just, oh, well, this season's a lost cause. You're, you're trying to build for the next two, three, four, five, or maybe seven years of LeBron's playing to 45. And then the third reason why you do it is to reassure LeBron that you actually still care. They, they said all these things in the offseason. Jeannie Buss at one point had said, you know, I think it was her quote, we're, we're his caretakers of his legacy. And I think Palinka might have used that, that expression. One or both of them, I think, has used that expression. Um, Palinka on Media Day said, let me be abundantly clear. LeBron committed to our organization. We're going to commit to him, including those picks, meaning the draft picks, to see him to the finish line. It, it, like, what happened to that commitment that was uh, heavily implied, and I think, if I'm led to believe correctly, was stated to LeBron. So they're, they're, they're sitting on their hands and just trying to ride this out. I don't know where it gets them. Like, okay, so, so Westbrook comes off the books in the summer. Where's that cap money going that's going to significantly improve them? And what have you done in the meantime to, uh, to possibly fry the relationship with LeBron? By the time you get to the summer and all that cap room and, you're, you've, and you've kept your picks, yay, what if it all ends up with LeBron demanding a trade? By the way, I think that's in play. That's just my hunch. I don't, I don't know that this is not sourcing. I'm not basing this on conversations or anything else. I'm just saying LeBron James, as much as he wanted to be in L.A. for family reasons, for weather reasons, location reasons, uh, his media empire reasons, whatever other reasons he went there and why he extended there, it doesn't mean he has to stay. It really doesn't. This is the player who has redefined superstar mobility in the NBA. To to assume that he just won't ask out, that he won't demand a trade, I I, I think is is playing with fire. I agree. Um, it, it, it look, I think that the first month of this off season, the official off season after the finals, talking about late June, early July, are critical for the Lakers and how their future is going to play out. Because I, I do believe that the biggest reason they're holding on to these draft picks and not doing a Miles Turner, Buddy Heald-esque deal is because they're hoping either by this trade deadline or next offseason that one of the really big fish is available. And, and I'm talking you know, probably Bradley Beal's probably at the top of that list, which, look, I, I can understand that. I mean, if the Wizards season continues to unravel and they wind up outside the playoffs looking in, I can see Washington pivoting putting Bradley Beal on the market and seeing what they can get for him. Now, the Lakers may not get Bradley Beal. It's one thing to covet him. It's another thing to say, here's two first-round draft picks and I don't even know who's on the roster outside of a one-year contract at this point. But like, there's nobody. There's going to be offers for Bradley Beal that very easily could exceed what the Lakers could offer. But that's what I think LA is holding on to. That's why I think this offseason is high noon for the Lakers and LeBron James. If they can somehow... Add a piece that is of superstar value, that is is Bradley Beal or Bradley Beal-esque, you still have a chance, not just to salvage next year of LeBron, but multiple years down the line. You could have LeBron, Davis, uh, Bradley Beal on your roster and be a contender, or at least look like a contender, uh, for years to come. I think that's what what they're just waiting on right now. And I, I to a degree, I understand that strategy, but if it doesn't, come to fruition in the early parts of the offseason. That's Howard. That's when you talk about like late July and August where you're looking around going, all right, are we going to do the same thing again where we bring in a whole bunch of guys on one-year contracts and we are touting and 
praising the acquisition of Kendrick Nunn, where we're you know exceptionally excited about Lonnie Walker and what he can bring to the table. Like I don't think they can go back to that well one more time. I think that is is where decisions will get made about the future of LeBron James. Not until then. Uh, until then, they're going to wait and see what they can get in that that next offseason. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I was told as, as recently or as far back as like mid-November when I was working on a net story and asking around about, you know, could what if they traded these guys, what if they traded those guys, all this stuff when I was suggesting the blow-up that they didn't do and now they're uh, contending for the title. Yes, so uh, laughing at Howard Beck. Just laughing at their Brooklyn neighbor. I mean, just, you know, join the party. Lots of people laughing at me a lot of the time. It's, 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 no, it's, it's nothing original. But at that time, and I was asking about, well, what about the Kyrie thing with the Lakers? And, and, I, and at that time, some people had told me, and I think I might have alluded to this in the story at the time, we talked about it, that they were holding out, the Lakers were holding out for the bigger fish, a Bradley Beal or whoever else might shake loose, and that you don't want to tri- send those picks out for a lesser package of something like Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, if a Bradley Beal is available later, and then you feel like, oh, we, we missed our opportunity. We already spent the only trade capital we had. I get that, but Beal may never become available. And like, you know, you could lose a lot of money the last four or five years making bets on it was time for Bradley Beal to leave the Wizards or time for the Wizards to trade him, right? Like how many times have we had this discussion and it never, ever happens? Um, so I, I think, you know, they can wait. But they may be passing up on opportunities while they wait, too. And those opportunities may never come to pass. And, you know, I don't know. We don't know if Heald Turner would even still be on the table. But that would solve two positions instead of just one with a Bradley Beal. Beal's hurt all the time, by the way. Beal's got a massive contract, by the way. I'm not even sure that's the best possible solution. I'll also say this. One real quick thing back to the to the picks thing and then guarding them as if these are, are you know, the, the keys to the universe. They have all the other picks, as I mentioned. But also, by the way, what happened to Lakers exceptionalism? You're the team that always believes that stars will come. And you went through some lean years when no stars came. But LeBron did come. And then Anthony Davis forced his way to you. That is most of their history, by the way. They traded for the pick that became Kobe Bryant. They signed Shaq in free agency. They traded for Pau Gasol. Um, and most of these guys in one way or another chose like, like Powell didn't, but Kobe chose the Lakers through manipulating the draft through his agent. Shaq chose the Lakers. LeBron and Anthony Davis chose the Lakers. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar way back in the day chose the Lakers. And yes, they drafted Magic and Worthy. Um, but this, this, the, this dynasty, this, this iconic team and all their championships have been built most of the time through free agency and trade and people wanting players wanting to be there, not through the draft. Um, your draft record is kind of spotty and you've never been a team that would, was just going to, you know, tank multiple years. So what happened to Lakers exceptionalism? What happened to just being confident in your brand to say that, you know what, we don't need the future picks. It's about today. The future will take care of itself. Players will want to come. Stars will want to come because they always have. Well, all I can say is this. I can't see LeBron going through another season like this again. I, I can't. He, you know, missing the playoffs potentially no. two years in a row, like, I, he would lose his mind. He would, especially when he's playing at the level that he's playing. Again, MVP-type numbers he's putting up this year. <laughs> and that yeah, he's carrying they're play, they're playing team. with fire. He's carrying They're playing with team. fire. If, if, if we spend all next summer uh, with, you know, reporting on LeBron trade demands and trade speculation and trade packages, whatever, do not be surprised. Like, we should just prepare for it now. Yeah, I agree. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, 
we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team. A driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two, because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcasts. You find it. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. You call Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Poppy. They ran socks in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0. In a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton, and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, from one trade or not trade, I don't know how we make this transition, but let's talk about Minnesota and the <laughs> catastrophe that the Timberwolves look like right now. I mean, a lot was expected of this team coming into the season, at least during the regular season with the acquisition of Rudy Gobert. It has not panned out that way. The Timberwolves well under 500 as we record this, outside of the play-in looking in as we record this. They just lost 
to Detroit at home, a loss that our friend John Krasinski over at The Athletic described as rock bottom for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, Howard, there's a lot to unpack with this team, but right now, they actually have a worse defensive rating this year than they did last year. (laughs) With Rudy Gobert, they are a worse defensive team this year than they were last year. They're also bottom third of the NBA in efficiency. Yeah, they've had some injuries and all that, beginning with Carl Anthony Towns, but this has not played out the way the Timberwolves hoped it played out. Um, about the midway point of the season, what do you make of the Timberwolves looking like a complete mess? I mean, this is shaping up to be a pretty catastrophic disaster. I mean, it's I think it's too soon to call the Gobert deal a catastrophe um, and a failure, it, it, you know, after a less than a half season. But it's trending that way. And the season itself is obviously um, on the brink. They were 10 and 11 when Towns went down. They're 6 and 10 since. Um, you know, Towns being out is a big part of this, but it's not the whole thing. They, they were a losing team before he went down. So let's be clear about that. On the other hand, him being out is, is a lot of time lost that maybe they could have worked through some of, of the bumps and, and, and adjustments that you knew you were going to have when you made a big trade for Gobert, when you sent out a bunch of really good role players, when you acquired a guy who is a fellow big that's going to require Towns to, to make some adjustments, it wasn't looking great in the time they were together. But still, you know, if it's going to work, it's only going to work through more reps and more experimentation and more adjustment. And and they've they've lost that. So some of this is is bad uh, bad luck. But I think what's more worrisome than all of that, this team still has a lot of high end talent, right? Gobert and Anthony Edwards alone and some pretty good role players around them and a really good coach. This is like one of those those pretty safe axioms in the NBA. If a team's got really good talent or at least solid talent, and this team does, and still sucks, it's probably a chemistry issue. There's like a 95, 98% chance it's a chemistry issue. And that's what they're hinting at now. Nas Reed the other day was asked if it was a mystery to the player's why their team was still underachieving. This was from uh, John Krasinski's story in The Athletic. And Nasreed said, to, to asking if it was a mystery why they're underachieving, he says, quote, not really. We know. We know. We know why. And, they, and he said this was just after a players-only meeting. So they obviously had been discussing this at length. He continues, uh, and you know, I'm going to kind of keep that in-house, but we know why. That's why I said before, I feel like we can change this. We know we can change it. So we just got to buy into the things that we know. So he's, that's a chemistry issue. This is this is about personalities and chemistry and whether guys are are following the program and whether they're on the same page with each other. Um, and then the, there's a follow-up quote from Nas Reed where he says, how can I say it? Not always having your own thoughts. If your teammates suggest something, try it. It might work. <laughs> talk about- That was great. About, I love that line. That was great. If you're, like basically uh, saying like your teammates are trying to tell you a good piece of advice and you're just choosing not to listen to them. Like it's wild. Yeah, yeah. Uh, chemistry. They've got chemistry issues. So we can dissect the Gobert trade all day and night and, and we'll litigate it for years to come. And that's fine. It's fair. But, you know, some of this just has to do with these guys not being on the same page, their chemistry being bad, um, and, and they're just flat out underachieving. Um, I, I don't I don't know what they should do from here. I think a shakeup, even a minor shakeup, I, I don't know if you can offload D'Angelo Russell. That's been a kind of a perennial question. Um, and I know that he's got ties to, to Carl Anthony Towns, the friends, all that stuff. You know, you can't, you can't take that into consideration. They just need to change up this chemistry a little bit. 
um, at a minimum. And maybe Towns comes back and maybe they still stabilize. But at the moment, you know, the, the, the trend lines are really alarming, to say the least. Yeah, I was reading some comments from Austin Rivers on Monday, and he said, we have more than enough here. We have a loaded team, loaded roster, great coach. It's one of those things in the NBA, when it rains, it pours sometimes. It really does. Um, you, you know, you talk about what Nas Reed said, like we know what the problem is. So do we. Like the, the numbers are, are what they are. Like they don't rebound well enough. They don't play transition defense. The third quarters have been bad. Like they, this, it's a consistent theme. And that's the most troubling part when when you look at the Timberwolves is, you know, it's it's not a bunch of different things that are going wrong. It's the same things that are going wrong over and over again. And they're not able to find the fix to it. I, I don't think there is a fix, at least not this season. You do have to hope that when Towns gets healthy and comes back, um, his presence alone is is able to just turn the tide a little bit. But you watch some games with D'Angelo Russell. He's not always engaged out there. Spent some of those videos of Anthony Edwards not looking always engaged out there. Um, I don't know what's going on with Gobert, whether it's the system isn't a good fit for him, whether he's lost a step at this stage of his career, but the fact that they're a worse defensive team this year than they were last year is wild. That's just wild because they were a defense that was like middle of the pack last year. There was a lot of smoke and mirrors with the, how they were were defending. Gobert was supposed to be the guy that backstopped that defense, that gave them the kind of presence that Utah had and enabled them, at least during the regular season, to be elite defensively. Right now, they're not even close to elite defensively, but your options are really limited. I mean, there's not going to be a robust market for D'Angelo Russell before the trade deadline. You're not going to offload Edwards. You're not going to offload Towns. There's no market for Gobert at the moment. Um, you don't have draft picks because of all the ones you shipped out in exchange for getting Gobert. It's kind of who you are. And I, look, I don't, I don't get the sense, you know, knowing Tim Conley and John Krasinski related to this uh, or relayed this kind of as well or in part of this. Like, Tim, one thing I've known about Tim over the years, you know, from how he built his teams in Denver like, he likes consistency. Like, he doesn't believe in just swapping out the coach here or there. Like, he he likes consistency. And yes, Chris Finch isn't his guy, necessarily. I mean, Tim Conley inherited him uh, from the previous administration, but I don't get the sense that we're going to see a coaching change in Minnesota, at least not uh, during this season. So, no. it, it really is just ride it out and see what happens the rest of the year, if and when Towns gets back healthy, and then reevaluate next summer. Like, what you have, what you don't. But, you know there's not a, like that Detroit loss. It was bad. They had just played competitive games in the previous two against upper level teams. And then you come back on your home floor and get spanked by Detroit, which has no interest in winning right now. Cade Cunningham is done for the year. The Pistons don't want to win. They want to give that win back. They want Victor Wembayama. Like this is like, what are we, they lose that game. The Timberwolves are trying to get into the playoff mix and they don't have the energy to compete in a game like that. I, I, I don't understand it. I just don't know. That's, that's, that 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 it should have just been utterly utterly humiliating for them. That's and that's why John Krasinski referred to it as rock bottom. I'm worried for John Krasinski, frankly. One, he's covered this team for a long time. He's had to cover a lot of uh, dysfunction, underachieving, a lot of nonsense. I worry that he's going to run out of ways to describe rock bottom. If they're already at rock bottom and they keep going lower, which is possible, I don't know where John is going to go for his next uh, adjective uh, or, or or phrasing. It's it's going to be difficult. I also think. Uh, John Krasinski said this, like he wrote this the, the other day that I think maybe this is the most alarming thing. He wrote, the biggest issue this team faces is that when they have to dig deep to find some reservoir of gumption, guts, and heart in an effort to overcome an obstacle in front of them, 
They not only have trouble locating any of it, but they also seemingly don't want to do the digging in the first place. <laughs> phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal prose from John Krasinski. But that's, I mean, that is an incredible indictment of a team that they're basically just lacking heart. He even alludes to the idea in that same piece, I think, that, um, you know, the fire was embodied last season by Pat Beverly, who, of course, was traded in the Gobert deal and then rerouted eventually to the Lakers, uh, which leads me to think, like, maybe they should swap D'Angelo Russell for Pat Beverly. Beverly could go back to Minnesota, inspire the troops again. D'Angelo Russell could go back to the Lakers, um, but this time as a veteran and with LeBron as, as leader, they need another ball handler, scorer type who could do something and take a little bit of, of the uh, the l- workload. I don't know. That's probably a terrible idea. Just just spitballing. I, look, I don't think you can discount you know, the impact of a influential veteran. I, I Look, I think Pat Bev can be a little overrated at times and, a you bit. know. When, and a little when, over the top. When he's doing like too small when you're down 20 in a game, like that's that's just <laughs> when you, you know you're yeah. a little bit crazy. But I, I do think he had an impact in the locker room. I do think he fired up guys. His defensive intensity brought something to the table. This Minnesota team is too good to be on a six-game losing streak right now and losing games by double digits to Detroit. Like, you've got yeah. good players. Like, the starting lineup, even without Carl uh, anthony Towns, like Jaden McDaniels, how many times did we hear this offseason about how important it was for Minnesota to hold on to Jaden McDaniels? He goes 3-for-11 in that game. Kyle Anderson, I thought he'd be a great fit with this team, a good fit as yeah. a free agent signing. Gobert, what do you have in that game? Nine points, 10 rebounds, whatever. You get 116 and got beat. Uh, Russell, supposedly a big-time player. Anthony Edwards, supposedly a big-time player. Uh, you've got some decent guys, you know, on the bench. Like, they, they are underachieving in every possible way. Like, they should be a lot better. They should be a top-eight team at least in the Western Conference. I thought coming into the season, there was a chance, if everything broke right, that they would compete for the number one seed in the Western Conference. I really believe that because I think Gobert if nothing else, has an impact on winning games in the regular season. He's proven that. Uh, this has gone the complete opposite direction, and I don't think there's a fix, at least not uh, not for this season. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cam Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two because, as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcasts. You find it. 
I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. You call Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Poppy. They ran Sox in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0 in a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton, and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Dial of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, from the bottom of the standings, Howard, back to the top. The Denver Nuggets, my Denver Nuggets. Any team that's winning is my team. My Denver Nuggets are <laughs> sitting uh, at the number one position right now in the Western Conference. They beat Boston on Sunday. Nikola Jokic outplays Jason Tatum in that game in a battle of uh, MVPs, or MVP candidates, I should say, two-time MVP and Nikola Jokic. Um, you know, we, we kind of have this, some version of this discussion when the standings flip-flop. You know, we had, you know, are, are the Pelicans uh, the real deal? Memphis, are they the favorite right now? Uh, the Nuggets are a little bit different because they are battle-tested. They've been to the postseason a few times. Um, they've come up short in those times, but they've kind of pushed to that second-round realm before they, they fell off. The team you're seeing right now, is this a team we should look at as a favorite in the Western Conference? A favorite, yes. The favorite, no. Okay, see how and... I worded that? Carefully worded that. We're not going to say the fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, uh, because as we uh, discussed in a different forum recently, there is no favorite in the West. There can't be. Um, it, it's still so tightly packed. The Nuggets have a one-game lead as we speak on the Grizzlies and Pelicans. The Nuggets are three and a half games ahead of Dallas, four over the Clippers, four and a half over Phoenix. The Warriors are still only five and a half out, and Steph will come back. So there's just a big jumbled mess, and it's a wonderful thing. Um, but there's like six teams I think legitimately six teams. You tell me if you disagree. I think there's legitimately six teams that could win the West, and I'm not counting Dallas 
in that mix because I don't think they can. But I'm saying Denver, Memphis, New Orleans, the Clippers, the Suns, and the Warriors, if they get holes soon enough, I think all have a chance to win the West. Uh, I think that's fair, um, that list. I'm more bullish on the Nuggets right now in this season than I was a couple of years ago, for sure. Certainly more than last season when Jamal Murray was out. Health is their number one obstacle at the moment. Like, you know, Murray's been out of the lineup. You're always worried about Michael Porter Jr.'s back. But if that team is healthy going into the playoffs, I kind of like them over everybody else. Not, not by a significant amount because their defense still worries me. I don't know if they're able to turn it on and turn it up in ways they're going to have to uh, to win playoff games or high-level playoff games. But Jokic is just outstanding. 30-12-12 in that win over Boston. Just just continue to do, do ridiculous things that very few, if any, players in NBA history have been able to do. I saw one stat on Jokic. He has shot less than 50% in just one game this year. One game, Jokic has shot less than 50%. That was a game they won, by the way. They won by like 16 points, and Jokic shot three for 10. Uh, In the month of December, he averaged almost 30 points, 12.5 rebounds, 10 assists, averaging a triple-double, 67% true shooting number, which is outstanding. Um, The outside things beyond Murray, who I think can be a very good number two, Porter Jr., who I think can be a very good number three, Aaron Gordon this year, just looks like he's put it all together. Like, the three-point shot for him is working. He's right around or near a career high in scoring. He has been instrumental to what they're doing when they're they're playing well defensively. Um, he, he's in the mix, I think, for an all-star spot. I don't know if i give it to him just yet, but he's certainly in that conversation. And him playing at that level makes me more confident in them. One of the wild cards, Bones Highland, like, he's been really good the last three games. Uh, but before that, he's had some spotty shooting nights. If they can count on him to be a reliable scoring option off the bench, I mean, they can go 7-8 really good deep uh, in their rotation. And when the top guy is Jokic, you can beat a lot of teams. You can beat every team in the Western Conference, I think, that way. Also, I think they've only had, I counted 16 games with Jokic, Murray and Michael It's not a high number. Uh, Yeah, that's been getting them all in the lineup consistently has been a bit of an issue. And the three of them plus Gordon, that's, you know, basically their top four. There's like, I think it's only 15 games with all four of them. Um, So, you know, I think we're going to need to give them a little bit of time, you know, assuming everybody can stay healthy. And that's that's been a question for this team the last couple of years, and that will continue to be a question. Um, So there's that. You mentioned the defense. I mean, you know, as we speak, they're 24th in defensive efficiency. That's not going to cut it um, in this, you know, in, in, in any era, I don't think, and especially yeah. in the West now. So they're 12th in the Western Conference in, de- in defense. They're ahead of only uh, Utah, Houston, and San Antonio. Teams that are ahead of them, the teams that they're going to be competing with to win the West, the Grizzlies have the third best defense in the NBA. The Pelicans are fifth. The Clippers are sixth. The Suns are 13th, Warriors 19th. But there's three top 10 defensive teams that all have a considerable amount of firepower in the Grizzlies, Pelicans, and Clippers. So, yeah, the Nuggets are great offensively. Yeah, Jokic is, is playing, you know, at, at an incredible uh, level that we have rarely seen. He could certainly win a third straight MVP. 
but that's not going to do anything for them. Like you're competing against other teams that also have elite offenses. Different. They don't have Jokic, but if Kawhi and, and Paul George are healthy, if John Morant and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. and Dar- Desmond Bain are healthy, if Zion, CJ McCollum, and Brandon Ingram are healthy, and the Pelicans have been great without Brandon Ingram, like other teams have offense too. They they have stars too. They have firepower, and they also play defense. And I just I'm never going to be completely sold on the Nuggets unless they come around a little bit at that end. Um, but you know, in the meantime, look, they they could win the regular season. They could have the top seed. They could have, take home court advantage and that incredible uh, home court of uh, advantage of, of of elevation um, and make their opponents wheeze. Um, so there are things that 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 could turn in their favor. But I, I just, and I'm, I'm sure Michael Malone would not disagree with this as defensive-minded no, as no. I know he is, that until they get their defense in order, uh, it's it's a little bit harder to buy into him. Look, if they're, and I know, look, I know Boston missed some open shots. I was watching that game on Sunday. But if they're able to play the kind of defense that they did against the Celtics, where they defended the three-point line pretty well, Boston shot 27% from three, um, that that could be enough with with their offense. I mean, Boston came into that game rested. They came into that game pretty much fully healthy, uh, and the Nuggets won. You know, so that that gave me some flickers of hope that this team could compete defensively at uh, at a pretty high level. But they're gonna have to show us that more and more over the next um, the next few months because that is probably the only thing stopping them. They've got more than enough firepower. They've got diversity with their scoring, but can they play? Middle of the pack level defense when they're fully healthy, uh, that uh, remains to be seen. But uh, a lot to like. And then there's Jokic, who might give us voters there, Howard, a lot to think about when it comes down to. I know we discussed this a little bit last week, but that guy is ridiculous. He is ridiculous. Watch enough Nuggets games, and you see things you sometimes you see things you've never seen before. Some of the passes that he's making every single night. So let's uh, that's a conversation though for another day. Howard, you and I will be back, and we'll do it again next week. Oh, it's a pleasure, my friend. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? 
We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to the Dow of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.